in 1954, we awakened something. There's a nuclear test in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Godzilla. God help us all. Hosted by Jacob, Stuart, and Arnie. None of us have ever faced a situation quite like this one. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. You have no idea what's coming. And it is going to send us back to the Stone Age. Listener discretion is advised. And I have a right to know! Today we're discussing Godzilla, the 2014 film, starring Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Ken Watanabe, Elizabeth Olsen, Juliette Binoche, and directed by Gareth Edwards. This is Arnie, the American Maniac co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob. And when I'm co-hosting, cake every night. And what is this Now Playing showing up in your iTunes feed? You're expecting either Lawnmower Man or Days of Future Past coming out this Tuesday. But hey, we heard you guys want Godzilla and we wanted to make sure you knew for people who may not be wanting to hear us talk about Matt Frewer in a black onesie. Tomorrow, our Planet of the Apes bonus donation retrospective series is starting. We're in the middle of our donation drive. This show requires listener support for us to be able to do all the shows we even have scheduled, plus these one-offs like this one. And we rely on your support. And as a thank you, we do bonus retrospectives only for donors and tomorrow gold level donors are getting the first of eight planet of the apes movies right i can't think of a bigger way to get that news out to maybe folks that have not heard that we're doing eight planet of the apes movies as well as five matrix wachowski movies than to slap it on the probably the most demanded movie we've had in quite some time We weren't going to do it. We definitely weren't going to do the retrospective. But then a few weeks ago, I went and visited Arnie, and we just hatched a plan. We we thought we were being so clever. We were like, how can we tease the idea that we're going to do Godzilla? And so he and I stood behind a picture of the broken Statue of Liberty, thinking that people would think that we were plugging Planet of the Apes. And what? It took about maybe 30 seconds before someone said, Godzilla? Are you guys doing Godzilla? And... Four minutes later, someone's like, yay, a Godzilla retrospective. We we got no game. We thought we were smarter than you guys. We weren't. You guys know the difference between the trailer of Godzilla and the broken Statue of Liberty in that and the end of Planet of the Apes where you see the broken Statue of Liberty. Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to hear our reviews of Planet of the Apes and find out about the Statue of Liberty in there, Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com, click the banner at the top, find out how you can hear our Matrix retrospective and the Planet of the Apes retrospectives. Another big movie coming out later this summer, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I think come that time, people will be demanding almost as much as they've demanded here, Godzilla. Because you demanded it, Now Playing listeners. <laughs> we are here with a bonus review, as if we aren't doing enough reviews right now. <laughs> Godzilla! Yes! Good news, bad news, guys. The good news is, yes, we have heard the cries. They were multitudes from Facebook, from emails, everything. Everyone wanted to hear our thoughts on this new Godzilla 2014. But of course, our normal style is that we build up to it. Guess what? Bad news? 
we're never going to do a Godzilla <laughs> retrospective. I'm sorry, it's too hard. When you add up the fact that he has 30 films, which we'd have to watch twice in most cases because there's a Japanese version and an American version, plus the spinoff monsters, plus all the comics and cartoons, and no. I don't have enough to say about it. I'm a Godzilla fan, and I would certainly enjoy watching all those movies again, but I just don't see that I'd have enough new to say by episode 15 to fill a show. And we heard early on a lot of requests for the Godzilla retrospective. But when we really started to look at it, it seemed to be a small group of people asking repeatedly. Or when we point out that we would be spending over half a year talking about films primarily from the 50s and 60s and 70s, people kind of back off. I mean, we really try to listen to you guys and what you want us to review. And when we took one week to review The Detective, which truthfully is a earlier story of John McClane from Die Hard, we got some mail saying we were wasting people's time. And when we did James Bond, we noticed not quite the engagement we're used to when we were doing the movies from the 60s. When we go before the 70s, it seems that there's a lot less interest. And to do that for half a year, I wonder how many people would still be around by the time we got to Godzilla 2014 to hear our final take on that. Plus, I've watched quite a few Godzilla films. I don't know that my review of... Godzilla vs. Monster Zero is that different than Destroy All Monsters. Oh, I disagree with you on that. I, I No, Destroy All Monsters is much better, but uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm just glad, you know, I wouldn't mind talking about Ghidra and Mothra. I'm just glad we're avoiding that Matthew Broderick film. I, I still <laughs> don't have a reason to see it, which I'm happy about. Oh, you've never seen it, huh? No, no, here's the thing. You know, talking about Godzilla reboots, I was living in New Zealand for a few years. I moved back to the States Right around the time that film was coming out. Now, you know, in New Zealand, it's always a couple months later, or back then it was a couple months later when you got the U.S. release finally showing up over there. I get back to the States. I see Godzilla everywhere. Taco Bell everywhere. Godzilla, Godzilla, Godzilla. I'm like, hey, when's this movie coming out? Looks like a big deal. They're like, oh, it's coming gone. It's not good. And so, nope, never visited that one. I'm a big fan of the original Godzilla. And, you know, Saturday afternoons, I'd catch all those other ones. You know, I don't know if I followed the stories. They were kind of just background noise. And I'd watch people in costumes fighting every now and then. But that that original Godzilla, I'm a big fan of the Japanese version. Never seen the American cut, but I love that Japanese cut of the original 54 Godzilla. Yeah, let's go through it real fast because we're never going to do the retrospective. Let's do a mini one right here because I do <laughs> see that Godzilla has a couple different phases. And you're right. The first two Godzillas, the ones from the 50s, are very different than really any other Godzilla at all. It's black and white, and they see Godzilla very much as a monster. It's a metaphor in many ways. It's Japan's response to the nuclear attack of Hiroshima. Yeah, they see in, in the 54, the original Godzilla, there's rumors that this monster has always existed, but it is atomic weapons that make him rise again. And the whole thing is they come up with this weapon, the oxygen destroyer. It's the only way to destroy Godzilla. And it's more powerful than a nuclear bomb to recreate this weapon, to reuse it. There is that anxiety about nuclear warfare and, and increasing the weapons you're going to use. And finally, they do use it and they destroy Godzilla. But they're like, ah, if we keep using atomic weapons, though, just more Godzillas are going to rise. I've never really paid attention to the other ones to, you know, as I would with a retrospective. So 
So are the other Godzillas, are they different ones? Is this original one that they just retconned and brought back? I, I was never quite sure, but there's a pretty definitive death of Godzilla in that original 54 one. There is, and, and then they just sort of have another one. Two years later, they made Godzilla Raid again, and it's in black and white, and it has a similar vibe, although it's less stark than I think that first movie is. And then they just stopped for about seven years and did other monster movies. And then someone had the genius idea for the third Godzilla movie to have him fight King Kong. And once they did that, they really hit their streak. You know, it was like when they made Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and Freddy suddenly became a a pun-making jokester. They realized that we love Godzilla, we don't want to be afraid of him, and we want to see him kick some ass. So they just made a dozen movies of him fighting various monsters for another decade. From the 60s and 70s, that's my Godzilla. That's the one that I love. And that was my question. We'll talk about it later with this film. But yeah, Godzilla became the good guy, right? He became the one fighting the other monsters, and we're rooting for him. And Godzuki. I like his son, too. I know that's Is that the baby one? <laughs> it's his baby. Yeah, his son that could only blow bubbles, little smoke rings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm even down with him. And I had seen the original Godzilla growing up. When I was really young, I was into Godzilla. I'd watch it on whatever those UHF stations we had in the early 80s were. And I saw some of them, like Godzilla versus the Sea Monster on MST3K. I feel like I've seen a whole lot of the Godzilla films. Godzilla versus King Kong, though, that was my first childhood entry into the geekdom of the crossover. I was on a vacation with my parents. I was probably five years old, and I saw an ad in the hotel that it was King Kong versus Godzilla on TV that night. On vacation, I made my parents stay in the room. I threw tantrum after tantrum. I had to see Godzilla versus King Kong, only to then realize it was about 90 minutes of people talking and then 30 minutes of what I'd hoped the whole movie would be. Yeah, they're always that, but you know, I, I go with that flow. I, I, I hated the anticipation as a kid, but, you, but you're right. No one cares about the people in a Godzilla movie, but boy, when they fight, it's glorious. And I'm with you. I love the whole concept of watching King Kong versus Godzilla. And then, you know, Mothra, all the other ones that they threw at him. I think that for me, that was the golden period. That's. When I think of Godzilla, that's where I go to. But those movies dried up by 1975, and they just flat out stopped for a decade until they decided to bring him back in the mid-80s for, what else? Godzilla 1985. And Arnie, you and I were there in the theater opening weekend. Yes, I will never forget it. I don't know if I was tired or if I was on some kind of cold medication. It's the only time in my life where I got into the movie. There's a scene where people are like screaming through a hole in the floor or an elevator shaft, and it goes on for quite a while of them screaming, and for some reason in the theater, I joined them in the shouting. (laughs) Yeah, they were trying to get Godzilla's attention going, hey, 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 hey. Finally, Arnie stands up and goes, yo! It worked. The funny thing was that was right at the moment where the edit was the monster turned around and went. (laughs) As did everyone in our audience. Yeah, they did, actually, (laughs) including me. I was so embarrassed. It was another lawnmower shirt moment. (laughs) I don't know why I did it. I just felt like I was there with them. And then Godzilla, I think he remained a Japanese property for the next decade. He kept putting out movies, but I don't know that many of them made it to America other than maybe on video. I haven't seen a bunch of those second-generation Godzilla Japanese films, but they're not bad. They have higher production values, and they more or less 
don't screw with the formula. He's still going to take down Ghidra and Mothra and all the classics. Well, let's not forget the Matthew Broderick one, though, which is the one I've seen most recently coming into this, because I remember that coming out. I had very little interest in it. It seemed to me like a way to try to capitalize on the, at that point, six-year-old Jurassic Park craze. Yeah, from the clips that I've caught, it does seem very Jurassic Park. I, I I don't know. There's like baby Godzillas or something, aren't there? And they look like raptors. Spoiler alert. Godzilla is a female who's come to lay eggs in a football stadium. And Matthew Broderick has to try and stop them. I saw it on video only because it has Jean Reno, who I've loved since The Professional. That was the only thing that made me get it. It's every bit as bad as everyone says. The ads of the Taco Bell Chihuahua trying to capture the lizard in a box is better than the movie itself. Yeah, look, I, I don't have much to say about that. I'm never going to watch it again. I was there opening weekend. Oddly enough, the same weekend that I find out that my parents tell me they're going to divorce, I see Godzilla 1998. And honestly, I don't know which news I took worse. I, they, were, <laughs> they were both very wow. traumatic, and I, I'll never go back. I speak to both of my parents now, but I'll never speak to Roland Emmerich. <laughs> But after the Americans screwed up, it went back to the Japanese for another decade. And some of the best ones, I got to say, they really did invest more money, more fun. They got the formula right. I really recommend people go and find Godzilla 2000. They finally finished it off, as it were, with a big blowout. It was called Godzilla Final War, where among the many villains that came back to fight Godzilla was that Matthew Broderick 1998 <laughs> Godzilla. They actually took the iguana-looking suit and, and put him in there. And of course, Godzilla finishes him up in about 20 seconds. <laughs> Jacob, have you seen that one? I have not. I didn't know Godzilla had life after that Matthew Broderick one, but now I want to see it. Yeah, Stuart actually came to town. We recorded our amazing Spider-Man review. We knew we were going to do Godzilla at that point. We rented that one off Amazon. You can definitely tell it's 2005. Jacob, we just are finished reviewing The Matrix for our bonus donation series, and yeah. Does his tail move in bullet time as he swings it around? No, there's just far too much dealing with the humans who act like they're in The Matrix versus the monsters. Yeah, Neo and Trinity are fighting Godzilla. I wish, you know, we'd see Godzilla, you know, swerve from some missiles in bullet time. But no, it's a lot of time, too much time devoted to the people, as tends to be the case in some of the more boring efforts. It's not my favorite Godzilla movie, but it is my favorite concept to have Japanese Godzilla kill American Godzilla. I, I thought that was a classic, even though that movie isn't. But then it stopped. Japan, that was the last one. Japan was done, and they sold the rights to America again and it took a little while to get it going a lot of screenwriters a lot of different directors came in and out but finally we have the movie we're here to review today and they actually wanted a 10-year hiatus after final war they said there were not going to be any more godzilla films for 10 years so they were still looking at what to do after that 10-year moratorium was up but they ended up with this yeah, Final War was the 50th anniversary movie. This is the 60th anniversary. Let's see if it's worth celebrating. Arnie, do you want to give them the plot? We can get into it. In 1999, a giant skeleton is found in the Philippines. Inside the fossilized beast are two eggs, one of which hatched. The creature made a beeline for a nuclear power plant just outside of Tokyo. It bores into the station, and the seismic activity causes a meltdown. In the disaster, dies the wife of plant supervisor Joe Brody, played by Brian Cranston. 
Fifteen years later, Joe is still breaking into the quarantine zone, believing a Japanese government conspiracy is covering up the real reason for the meltdown and his wife's death. Arrested for going into the area, Joe has to have his bail posted by his now adult son, Ford, a naval explosive ordnance disposal officer played by kick-ass star Aaron Taylor Johnson. Joe convinces Ford to go into the quarantine zone with him to get some zip disks. <laughs> Remember those? Yeah! That recorded the seismic activity, but the two are captured by Japanese officials and taken to the plant where they meet Dr. Ishiro Serizawa, played by Ken Watanabe, a scientist with Project Monarch. Serizawa admits Joe was right. It wasn't an earthquake, but some giant creature that caused the disaster, and it has since lived in a cocoon inside the plant, absorbing all the radiation. But while Joe and Ford are there, the cocoon hatches, releasing a giant creature. No, no, not Godzilla. <laughs> but what they call a Mudo, a massive, unidentified terrestrial organism capable of firing an EMP pulse, disabling all electronics. In its birth, the beast causes even more damage, killing Joe and then flying off to the east. Sarazawa and his team go to follow the creature, and Ford hitches a ride wanting to get back to San Francisco and his waiting wife Ellie, played by Elizabeth Olsen. They stop in Hawaii where the Mudo attacks again, but then another creature comes from the ocean, Godzilla. He is the Mudo's natural predator and has come to kill the creature. The Mudo flies off, still heading east, now trailed by the king of the monsters. But in the U.S., another Mudo has hatched. The second egg found in the Philippines was taken to the U.S. for storage when it hatched a female Mudo ready to mate with her brother? <laughs> Don't ask. It's insects. That's, we'll never understand. Yes, it's different in the animal kingdom. The female Mudo heads west, destroying Las Vegas before going to get laid. The U.S. military has decided to use a nuclear bomb to bait the two Mudos as they are attracted to radiation and then detonate it, destroying them. Due to the EMP powers, they fit the bomb with an old-style analog countdown timer taken from Snidely Whiplash, I believe, but installed by Ford. But the Mudos take the warhead and use it to build their nest, surrounded by Mudo eggs. The army, accompanied by Ford, goes to disarm the bomb and save the lives of everyone in San Francisco, including Ford's wife, but he cannot disarm the bomb in time, so the military men just take it to the coast to detonate as far away from the mainland as possible. Ford, meanwhile, lights a fire, killing all the unborn Mudos in their eggs. The Mama Mudo tries to go after the baby Mudo killer, but is stopped by Godzilla. The huge monster fight we all paid our admission to see happens between the three monsters, Godzilla spearing the male Mudo on a skyscraper, then breathing his atomic breath down the throat of the female, killing the bitch. Godzilla collapses, seemingly killed by the wounds inflicted in the combat, but then wakes up and walks out to the ocean, I think he's awaiting his agent's call about the sequel, and Ford is finally reunited with his wife and son as credits roll. Question off the top. We we start the movie. It's a credit sequence montage of cave paintings and then books and sea journals. And finally, we're seeing filmed footage of A-bomb testing and what looks like to me the spine of Godzilla swimming around. Is this movie in continuity with the 1954 Godzilla? Are they trying to say that everything that happened in the original film, is this a sequel, not a reboot? I think it's that muddy water where we get with a lot of these reboots slash sequels. It seems like with the retcon, you could probably make this work because in that 1954 one, they definitely like we see his skeleton. They do not drop an A-bomb on him to kill him. Like they have changed the mythology here. That 
original film was about like nuclear anxiety and that's that nuclear war is what brought that monster to life here it's it's a different spin he's powered by nuclear energy it talks about millions billions of years ago when there's more radiation that's how these monsters live they fed off that radiation that's why they'll have all these different powers that we've seen in the other godzilla films with emp powers and and vomiting nuclear blast out of your mouth so it, it seems like they want to at least take that first film somewhat seriously like that happened that spawned this monarch agency but they're changing the end they're just twisting it enough where they could fit this in as a sequel that they've retconned it a bit in my eyes and i have to disagree but my viewpoint is twisted I read the prequel comic. Oh, okay. <laughs> and if you look at what is said in this film, which I saw once before reading the comic, then I went, I read the comic, I saw this film again for the review. Everything they say here is very specific, and it's fleshed out in this comic. And what it is, is Hiroshima, where we dropped the bomb, drew the first of the Mudos. Now, the Mudo in the comic is very different than the Mudo we see here. It turns out Mudo, Godzilla is a Mudo. It's a species term that just applies to any giant creature that rises from the sea. They fed on the radiation, as is said in this movie, and when Earth lost its radiation, and the comic talks about how the meteor that hit us and formed the Grand Canyon caused climate change and removed radiation, these giant creatures went deep undersea to try to grab whatever radiation they could from the Earth's core. It was Hiroshima that created enough radiation on the surface again to start drawing the Mudos. And so a Mudo came up, and then Godzilla fought that Mudo, and that was the early encounter. And the comic follows Serizawa's father, who was one of the founding members of Project Monarch. And there is a Serizawa in the original 54. I was wondering if this was a descendant of that character. Yeah, this one believes there's a Godzilla, but the others only believe in the one Mudo. And finally, at the end, they see Godzilla who fights the bad Mudo, and then they nuke Godzilla. They don't know if they've killed him or not in the sea. He just has submerged, but they wonder if he's dead, and that goes on for 60 years until now. So taking that the original backstory here involved two Mudos per the comic, I think they're going more off that and not necessarily the original Godzilla movie. I think there's nothing out of continuity other than the comic brought in some monster that he fought uh, in the his first appearance, and then Godzilla was felled for 60 years, or felled for 50, 60 years. I think the other thing, though, is that the early Godzilla appearance in the comic and in this movie was very small scale. He didn't go into Tokyo where everybody with the camera and even back then TV news stations and film crews could film him. He became something of a legend that was seen by very few people. He didn't walk through downtown Japan. Yeah, in that 54 film, people definitely see him. So that's why I'm saying this is like a sequel that they've just retconned some stuff. It's now more secret and they thought they killed him with an A-bomb instead of the oxygen destroyer. See, because I thought that when we pick up again, it's 1999, I thought it didn't preclude the fact that all of those Godzilla movies I loved could have happened. <laughs> we could have had decades. Uh, who knows what was going on in those islands of Japan? Uh, th there could have been those battles. They weren't writing it out here. And by starting in 1999, it allows all of that continuity to continue. I, I gotta disagree. I think that if there was a Godzuki and a Mothra and just a Zilla and a Mechagodzilla, 
there wouldn't be such a surprise when Mudos start tearing up the states. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you, Arnie. I think they're saying the first one happened with some changes that they've made to the story, and now we jump to this one. All that stuff in between. Sorry, Matthew, your egg chasing in a football stadium didn't happen. Let's just all agree they're paying honor to the first one yes. so that fans of the original won't be turned away, but it's certainly not required viewing for this one. Right. And, and not only are they honoring that original with story plot points, but I also think in spirit, they're getting back to the roots of Godzilla as a ferocious, scary monster. When he appears finally in this movie, he is to be feared. He is a, a natural disaster creating force and not a colorful character that's going to save us, at least for most of that movie. What I saw is the big change here. I think they respected that tradition that Godzilla is a scary thing. He's born out of atomic anxiety. You know, after Japan was bombed with nuclear weapons, that's how they embodied that fear. And here, it's a little bit of a, a different spin. He's not created from nuclear energy. He actually feeds off radiation. And it's almost like, like if you look at when they find the giant skeleton in the Mudu egg and what are they doing? They're mining and it causes this sinkhole and they definitely go into Fuku with the typhoons and the power plant and it, it almost comes off as this isn't about anxiety of the nuclear age but of global warming and i mean we got airplanes flying into buildings so they're obviously you know terror this seems like a different spin these are different anxieties in 2014 than the japanese had in 54 i wouldn't use the word different i think they've included newer disasters to me it feels like they're trying to do the same thing that they did in 1954 uh, they wanted a response in 1954 to hiroshima and now we've had a lot more natural disasters yes we've had the tsunamis in thailand we've had the katrina where people are displaced and forced to live in a football stadium we have all of these imagery, you know, when the nuclear power plant towers go down, it does feel very 9-11. I feel like the director, Gareth Edwards, is very much trying to incorporate real-life disasters so that this new Godzilla can embody those fears in the same way that Godzilla embodied Hiroshima fears in 1954. I, I think it's the same intent. Now, how successful they are in doing that? Well, I don't know because we got a long time before we even get to Godzilla. <laughs> This is a confusion for me because when we hear that an egg is hatched and we see that some creature has moved across the Philippines, leaving a path of destruction, I'm thinking that's got to be the big G, right? I thought so too, but did you catch the line? And it was on my second time through that I caught it. The two scientists are there. You've got Sarazawa and he's kind of got a partner, Vivian Graham. And when they see the skeleton, what Vivian says is, is it possible? Is it him? She thinks that skeleton is Godzilla. It's Sarazawa who says, no, this one's much older and still thinks Godzilla is out there. Right. Yeah, but, but are those eggs? Are those Godzilla ovaries? They, they make a big deal like they're still fresh and something is hatched. Is it a baby Godzilla? Right. Yeah. Th is this Godzuki? It's not Godzuki. <laughs> More confusing, it's the male Mudo, right? It's going to be the thing that we see 15 years later in captivity at the same nuclear power plant. It's been turned into a cage. Why did it have to walk that way? I thought the thing flew. Well, I think, isn't that a cocoon? Is, isn't it going through a metamorphosis? 
like maybe it swam to Japan and, and found that radiation and then cocooned and had to spend 15 years until it could hatch into a beautiful Mudo. It needed to feed. It had sat under there for thousands of years, and it wasn't until the miners opened the air that it started getting radiation from the above ground air to feed, and then it went to the nearest place, basically the nearest teat it could suck on. Sure. Yeah, I get that it needed radiation. That's, that part is very clear. But to me, for an hour of this movie, I believe that that was Godzilla. And then when we finally see what it was and that it could fly and that it was in a cocoon, I'm like, did the cocoon swim? I just couldn't understand the life cycle. We missed a step. We do not know what the male Mudo was between his first hatching and his second. Right. We never see it. I wasn't sure if it was Godzilla. I thought it was. I mean, we don't even, we start by knowing there are eggs, but really we see this all from the point of view of Joe Brody, played by, you know, the second big fake out, thinking that Brian Cranston's the star of this movie. If you've seen the trailers, it's certainly sold that way. I was excited about that, being a big Breaking Bad fan, where he really came into his own. I mean, yeah, sure. There was a Seinfeld where he was a dentist and Malcolm Malcolm in the the middle. middle. Yeah. Yes. But to really see his dramatic chops, that really came through in Breaking Bad. And that was one of the reasons I was excited to see this film. Brian Cranston, what does he do after Breaking Bad? Can he keep that streak alive? Yeah, I have loved this guy and everything I saw him in, including the not-so-good remake of Total Recall. So I was excited to see him, and there's seismic activity that's disrupting his nuclear power plant. You think it's Godzilla stomping, right? I definitely feel like the story that they're trying to set up here, first with Serizawa, and he lost his father working with Godzilla, and later we're going to have a a new character who's going to lose his father to Godzilla. It would make sense, narratively speaking, for the human drama that Godzilla is the one that causes this nuclear power plant attack. Except... They want Godzilla to be a good guy, like all the monster mash films you mentioned. When with the King Kong versus Godzilla, you said they found their formula. They want Godzilla to be cheered for, so therefore he can't kill the mama. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's what I ultimately learned. Although I would argue for 80% of this movie, Godzilla is the scary don't root for him Godzilla. I think that that's the expectation, that we're watching natural disaster porn and he's the cause of all of that now you mentioned brian cranston he's not the only one this movie is filled to the gills with actors that i admire and was really looking forward to seeing shirazawa ken watanabe i really like him his partner vivian graham sally hawkins i love her does she speak in this movie (laughs) juliette binoche oscar winner has made many tremendous french dramas the wife character These are all people that I think, wow, this Godzilla, he really lucked out. This is going to be a quality, prestige Godzilla movie because look of the actors that are coming out to represent. But honestly, my God, why get these actors if all they're going to be doing is cameos? Because they could. I also did the now playing research for this and they had their script. They knew what the roles were, and then they looked at who they could get on the budget they had. They couldn't afford Brian Cranston for the whole film. They could afford Brian Cranston for a couple of weeks. Could they afford a decent wig, at least? I mean, I know he's bald (laughs) for the show, but my God, what they stick on top of his head, Sean Connery wouldn't have worn, and you only live twice. 
And I don't want to come across like they cheaped out on this film. They spent a lot of money on this film. They were giving this film what it needed. But what they looked at were the size of the roles and bringing in the prestige actors to fill in the minor roles and bring in a couple of smaller but known names to lead the film. But certainly, you know, if I was Aaron Taylor Johnson, I'd be a little bit pissed that nobody knows he's in this movie. Well, he cut his hair. He looks totally different. I didn't realize it was him until I started doing my post-film research. It's kick-ass. But would you have even known he was in the movie if you watched the trailers? Again, no, I saw- No, no, I had no idea. I knew he was, like, getting second billing or something. They kept flashing his name. I'm like, that looks kind of familiar, but yeah. Yeah, this guy, if there's a Kick-Ass 3, it's going to be a very different film because he's bulked up. There won't be a Kick-Ass 3, and I'm not <laughs> sure they'll invite him back for Godzilla 2. Because, yes, this is the sting, is although I love all of these actors that are shuttled off and killed early and relegated to cameos the star of this movie is not godzilla it's this guy and the shocker is he's terrible he's the worst thing in the film and you know what i don't even know if i blame him because i'm so disappointed what they did with the actual big actors cranston gets killed off 30 minutes in what nobby like he holds some weight when he appears in a film is and what do they, what does anyone really do? Like, we are going to spend so much time with humans that the, there's so little Godzilla. I wanted, okay, give me a human drama. I don't feel like any of these actors do much. Aaron Taylor Johnson is, is he great? No, but I don't know if anyone else really is. I, I almost blame the script for this. Yeah. In a big monster movie, I understand that you have to have human characters for two reasons. First, you have to have the characters with whom the average audience member can relate, the point of view character who's going to guide you through the story. And second, that character can very rarely be CGI because every second of CGI is so damn expensive. You want a human being. You want a human drama. And they're never going to sell you that human drama in the trailers. They're going to sell you the monster mash in the trailers. But seeing... Final Wars and seeing this tells me, yeah, you have to have the human drama there with Godzilla. The question is, is it done very well? You said Aaron Taylor Johnson's the worst thing about this film. I think he's doing the best he can with the material he's given. I don't think he's bad in it. I think he is a pretty flat character who just has no bearing on the overall plot of the movie because it's following the story of a flea in a movie about a lion. No, you're absolutely wrong. It, this movie is about the flea. This movie is not about Godzilla. A creature that is not Godzilla comes and destroys a nuclear power plant and kills a woman. The husband is distraught, never gets over it, becomes a conspiracy theorist in Japan. The son joins the military and has nothing to do with him. And this is all about those two coming together and the son proving that the father's work was correct. That's the story of this movie. Where Godzilla factors into it is roughly a little bit more screen time than Juliette Binoche. Is, is that really the story here? I, I know there's some kind of human drama going on. I mean, your star is a dude that disables bombs that doesn't even disable a bomb by the end of this. I like, can't believe totally that. fails at that. I, everyone insists he's the one guy that can do this. He invites himself into troops that are doing things that he's not even a part of. He keeps tagging himself into this story, willfully sticking himself into the mission to stop these mudos, and he doesn't do the one thing we've been told he's good at. Well, well let's kind of back it up a second, because you described 
what you see the story of this movie being. Well, we have Brian Cranston at the beginning, and his wife dies because of the Mudo seismic activity in a very powerful scene. I kind of felt bad for Brian Cranston when he sees his wife through the glass in a scene written by Stephen King go-to Frank Darabont, who did a polish. But then he does become a conspiracy nut, and Aaron Taylor Johnson has to come and bail him out. Well, within 20 minutes of this movie, they've already proved him right, because they've gone back in, they've been captured by Project Monarch, and all of a sudden, these people at Project Monarch realize this crazy guy knows more than they do. All of the conspiracies, all of the vindication happened in the first act. Yes, and why is that? Another question that I have is, what is Monarch exactly? I Monarch is a group that developed from the nuclear bomb Bikini Atoll research of the 1950s. They're the side project of the U.S. military, or are they a corporation independent of nationality? No, I took them as an international quasi, I don't know, military slash political group that was there to track Godzilla. There was never a monarch, a project monarch or a group like that in the, all the monster fighting films with Godzilla. Oh, often they had, yes, the Godzilla team. I, it would have various names, and who knows with English translation what that really was. But that's what I presumed these people were. That's the reason why they don't know there's another egg in America is because the U.S. military has one and they have the other and one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing? Well, all right, here's what I get from this. Now, the comic spells out that Monarch is created after the Mudos came up in the 50s. And they, I believe, it's still very vague, but I believe they're an international organization, primarily of scientists, not military. They're there to study. But the Americans took one egg and said, we're studying the unhatched egg, and Project Monarch was kept out of it. And then Project Monarch got the site with the cocooned Mudo. And it's just the Americans were being greedy and wouldn't let anyone else at that egg. Right. And you're calling them Americans as in, in the nuclear repository in America, the, the one near Vegas. Yes. These aren't Americans. It's Japanese or I think they wanted to have Shirazawa there because I think they wanted to hand off Godzilla, that it started as a Japanese problem and then he gives it for, to the Americans, much like the franchise itself. But it's just never clear to me what Monarch knows, what it does, its involvement with with the military, all of this stuff. I presume it's in that comic, but... It's very vague in the comic, too, though. Well, it, yeah, it, the interesting thing is Sirizawa, he believes that Godzilla's still alive. Like, that's his whole thing, that Godzilla's going to come back. These motos are going to bring him back because he is the alpha beast. He hunts these things down for a living. That's that's what he does. And so why the military is trying to, you know, figure out how are we going to kill these motos? Sirizawa's like, oh, no, Godzilla's just going to come back and do it for us. Like, that is his whole thing. Is like, nope, we don't have to do anything. Just let Godzilla run rampant and eventually kill these guys. Yeah, there's a very funny scene where... There's this Admiral Stentz, who's the American military admiral, and he's the one who's in favor of, you know, nuking the Mudos, and Sarazawa's like, well, let's just sit back and let Godzilla do it, and Stentz says, and we what, just stand by and watch? Well, yeah, that's pretty much what the script gives them to do. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, again, Stins, David Strathairn is a classic actor, Oscar nominated, barely in this movie. You say Aaron Taylor Johnson is not the star of this film. I say he's the only one. He is the only one that is allowed to be in the movie from start to finish. I do not know why, because he knows nothing about star appeal. This guy doesn't try to do anything. He just thinks that Godzilla should carry him through. No, I, I think Ford Brody... Taylor Johnson's character, I think that is the main character. I think the star is still supposed to be Godzilla. But you have to have that one viewpoint character, which I guess is why he just travels around so easily, going from Japan to Hawaii to Nevada. I mean, let's look at Ford here, Ford Brody, because we start off, we're introduced to him. We do see him as a young child wanting to throw a birthday party for his dad and his Dad has a major disaster that day, and the party never comes. Fast forward, he's now a military officer, and what do we know about him? He has a dad who he's disavowed, and he loves his wife and son, and we get that because we're shown it in three minutes. Right. And none of this works for me. It, it isn't even necessary. Lest I remind you, this is a Godzilla movie. The humans have never mattered. That They're trying to insist that this is a human dramatic story now, and that, again, to me, the pivotal arc here is a son that's rejected his father and done everything he can to be the opposite of him and coming around and realizing that his dad made some points and all of this. I can't believe that that is so much of the focus of this movie. But I don't think it is. I really think, again, that's handled in the first act. When Brian Cranston dies on the helicopter after the Mudo breaks out of the base, that arc is done. And now we really have an aimless character who's trying to get back to his wife because we learned in that three minutes, oh, they're in love. His whole point, theoretically, is to get back to his wife. And he just so happens, the route he takes always puts him in the wrong place at the wrong time or for the story's point of view character the right place at the right time not only that but the wife is of course going to be living in the city where the evil mudos are going to nest the conveniences are hilarious to me again who could take this seriously as drama this is godzilla just be campy and let's get through it you can't be campy in the modern age and sell to an audience that wants actual non-ironic enjoyment. This has got to appeal to the Transformers audience as well as the Godzilla versus Mothra audience. Wait a minute. Transformers audience and Godzilla versus Mothra audience are the same audience. It's the same thing. Stupid things pummeling on each other in different decades. But it's a different vibe. And the Godzilla versus Mothra people, I think they skew old. And the Transformers people, I think they skew young. It's a generational divide. This wants to bridge the gap by taking it seriously and being an edgy disaster film, not a campy monster movie. You know, one of my reference points for this is Man of Steel. We want to take kind of this goofy Boy Scout character, but make it dark and gritty and he has angst and he's going to destroy an entire city trying to save the day. And you know what? That kind of edge, that's what got me interested in Godzilla 2014. That teaser trailer of some military guys jumping out of a plane with those flares going off and you just see this shadow of Godzilla that they passed. Yeah, that was dark and gritty and I knew there was going to be some great disaster porn and yeah, that did get me. I, I, I think there is a certain aesthetic this day and age. You can't go with, you know, like that scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure with the dude in a suit stepping on some toy tanks. You can't go for that kind of camp. People, they want to take it more seriously. I think people People in this day and age, maybe because geek culture is so pervasive, people want 
to take these goofy ideas and see them done seriously. And like, this could be like real life. I, I think that is a certain aesthetic we're seeing in a lot of our pop culture today, but come on this three minutes in San Francisco, this tells us everything that's going to happen. We know this is the main drama. You're right. Arnie, the step father and son stuff is done in the first 30 minutes. As soon as Cranston dies, but come on, the son's got to go over to Japan and he's like, Oh, come on. It's not the end of the world. I'll be back in two days. Bull crap, bull crap, bull crap. We know this is all setting up. Oh, this is going to be the main drama. He's got to get back to his wife. I want to see monsters fight. If that's the best human drama you could give me to hold me over between monster fights, it doesn't work for me. It's so damn cliched. And because I emphasized that we have them together for three minutes, I'm not rooting for these two to get back together. We had almost as much screen time with these two actors at the end of Captain America 2 as we have in this movie. And if people are wondering what I'm referencing, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's Quicksilver in The Avengers 2. His wife in this movie, Elizabeth Olsen, is his sister, the Scarlet Witch, in Avengers 2, both who cameoed in the end credit sequence of Captain America 2. Yeah, I imagine if this movie were coming out after Avengers 2, we might have a pre-established relationship about who these people are. We might want to see their love survive. As it is, yeah, I like Elizabeth Olsen because I've seen her in other movies. I thought I liked Aaron Taylor Johnson because I liked Kick-Ass, but she drops out of the picture too. She just joins the long list of respectable people that kind of pop up and then fade into the background. She's in a couple of hospital shots. She sends her kids away and she hides in a BART station, and then I don't see her again until the end. I mean, this isn't much of a role. She just distracted me every time she was on screen because she looked vaguely familiar. I don't think I've seen her in anything, but I think I recognized her resemblance to her older sisters. You got it, dude. Oh, no. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, yeah. Twins. Yeah. yeah, she is the younger, less wealthy sister of the Olsen twins. Yeah, she is. But cool. I, I got to say, if you want to see her do some really fine acting, Martha Marcy May Marlene is a terrific thriller, and she's terrific in it. You know, one of the things that that's on my mind as I'm watching this film and trying to get into this human drama, because there's no damn Godzilla yet. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you guys saw another film by Gareth Edwards, the director here. That he, he This is... Like, if you want to go with the most literal director to to do Godzilla, you get Gareth Edwards, I guess, because he did an indie movie called Monsters about giant monsters that don't ever really appear. But from what I've seen, I haven't seen that film in a while, but that was mostly human drama. And it was two characters and their relationship as they're trying to get over the border back to America, going through this zone where these alien monsters live. It, it was at least compelling. It held my attention. I wasn't missing the monsters throughout that film. And and so I've got to be the script. I've seen him do this kind of thing better with less money. Well, I didn't like monsters at all. I remember the hype around it. And I think it's legitimate that for very little money, he made it very convincing that you could make, uh, yeah, kaiju walking around in the rainforest. That was cool. But the soggy human drama it ended up being a big parable about how horrible U.S. immigration is and how hard it is to get across the border and how we demonize people that do. The monsters were a metaphor for what we do to Mexicans. I thought it was heavy handed. I thought the movie was dull. It wasn't an encouraging choice, that, but I wasn't going to hold it against him either. I mean, he did what he set out to accomplish with that first film. He proved that he could make monsters seem real on a limited budget. So let's see what he can do with a lot of money. And what I'm seeing him do here is again focus on soggy melodrama when we should be having fun with monsters. 
Well, we are having fun with monsters, just not Godzilla. We do get, about a half an hour into this film, the first monster attack. And yeah, I was a little bit surprised when the monster comes up and it's this weird giant cricket mantis combination looking Mudo and not the king of monsters. But I think that's there to fulfill the building carnage quota. He's there to knock down the buildings and the power lines versus Godzilla being in that role. And I'm satisfied with that. I am not the hugest of Godzilla fans. So I'm good if the monster who's destroying the town is this kind of Cloverfield ripoff. Yeah, I don't have a problem with this being, as Stuart said, your sweet spot for Godzilla, the 60s and 70s stuff where we're going to get Godzilla versus another large monster. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting something more like the original. But yeah, I want to watch two monsters bash each other's head in. I, I liked Pacific Rim last year. Yeah, I think that you can't not have that. I, I think that they knew that they needed to make these scenes great. And guess what? It is pretty great. I am very happy anytime the monsters are attacking as he's trying to escape and pulling down the cranes and, and everything. I saw this in 3D. It looked even better in that format. I think every time you see the monsters fighting, it is spectacular. As good as Pacific Rim. But unlike Pacific Rim, there's far less of it than I would have wanted. And let's remind everyone you gave a red arrow, an undeserved red arrow to Pacific Rim. <laughs> I don't think it was undeserved, but I definitely thought that the movie was technically brilliant and narratively stupid. Yeah, I'm happy when the Mudo is attacking, and I think this is what I've come to expect from a Godzilla film, is there's a giant monster outside, and you are doing what you can to survive, and there's people shooting at him, and of course the bullets are just bouncing off, there's nothing that can be done to harm him, and the humans keep trying to stop the monster. The twist here is that monster isn't Godzilla, and Godzilla's not going to show up until Hawaii, and then he's going to be a little camera shy. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem either. Let us have a long wait for Godzilla. That's usually the case in any Godzilla movie, is that we might see him for a flash or two in the beginning, but then it's going to take a while. We're, it's more about setting up the monster he's going to fight than it is. We know what he's going to look like in most Godzilla movies. So, yeah, let's see what he's going to fight, and then you bring him in at the hour mark. That seems to make a lot of sense. I have no problem with the fact that they're stalling this because the monster fights we do get in the league up to it are really good i really like the destruction i really like hawaii i really like japan yeah this is the spielberg method of monster storytelling you know don't show the shark until the third act take your time and you know what i i, I feel like there is definitely a spielberg influence without i mean literally godzilla most of what we're going to see of him for the first hour is jaws like just fins out of the water and even the score the main godzilla theme it has that da 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 which i really liked those little inserts there but yeah i definitely was thinking spielberg a lot in this especially classic spielberg i thought about it with the marketing as they and the teasing of godzilla here it reminded me of et how they never you you had to pay your admission to see et and with the marketing of Godzilla, you saw a lot of Brian Cranston, but it was it wasn't until like some of the very last trailers that they'd finally show you Godzilla. Then when Godzilla and the Mudos start attacking, I'm actually thinking Jurassic Park era Spielberg, but I definitely got that vibe and I was grooving to it. I like that era of Spielberg. Yeah, a classic Spielberg moment is that they're at the beach and a child, of course it's always the child that sees it first, turns and sees that the sea is ebbing 
and that the, all the little fish are flopping on the sand. And, and we know that, yes, a tsunami is coming, but also the tsunami announces Godzilla. I don't think Spielberg could have done Godzilla's introduction here with the people running and the family. I think they end up hiding in Starbucks or a coffee bean. But <laughs> all of that stuff, product placement aside, is done as good as Spielberg in his best, in his prime. Yeah, and what I think is interesting is that Godzilla's first appearance here, it comes with a natural disaster. That That is something they'll call out, is that Godzilla is just this force of chaos. You can't rein him in. you got to just kind of let nature take its course and hope it saves the day. But yeah, it's this huge tsunami. But when you see those two feet step down at, through that airport window to take on the Mudo, like my friend that was sitting next to me, she started cheering. There's a group of 12, 13, 14-year-old boys. I'm sure they wanted to see Godzilla because they saw Pacific Rim last year. They were cheering. So despite all this destruction Godzilla brought, he is the star. People were cheering in the theater when he finally appears to fight the Mudo. I live in the Midwest. It was a nice stoic audience. And I was a little bit horrified by the tsunami and the family running and the dog, the freaking dog. Yeah. Did the dog survive? I, I never quite, I, I'm assuming the dog survives because they always do, but they're walking a tightrope. They're showing that when Godzilla comes, very terrible things happen, but he's fighting the good fight. When he gets involved in a boxing match, we want the other guy to lose. I, I think this is an interesting take. They're having their cake. They're eating it too. And I'm with it. I'm cheering with them. We're at the point that I've wanted the movie to get at. And despite some pretty lame human drama, I'm ready for Godzilla to take the mantle and make it his movie. What is a shocker is they instantly turn this into a joke. They cut away back to San Francisco. We see the fight a little bit on a TV screen that Ford's son is watching. We don't even know how this resolves. Yeah, talk about E.T. This is where the kid could see the fight. The mom's like, turn the TV off. Has no idea that there. she knows her husband's in Hawaii. Doesn't know about this big Godzilla monster fight going on. But yeah, I'm wondering, okay, did he defeat the Mudo? How was this resolved? I, I think part of when you establish a character or, you know, for a fight film like this, you got to see what is he capable of or else at the end it's just like, oh, we can pull out whatever we want because we haven't established the rules for Godzilla. I, I felt I was cheated there. I, I don't know know is this an easy fight for him is there going to be another monster later on which yes there will be that's going to be a tougher fight like usually you have this first fight and you're triumphant and then you face off with the bigger thing but i don't know how this was resolved so I, there's none of that tension there yeah i agree with you both now my take on this was that the mudo realized his predator was here and was like screw it i i'm not gonna mess with hawaii anymore i gotta get laid anyway <laughs> and went off now I did read an interview with the screenwriter, Max Borenstein, and what he said is that he was trying to build tension and keep the fights off screen till the end because he wanted to avoid what he said a lot of summer movies have had recently with the most exciting thing coming midway through. I think, Jacob, what you just said is the right way to go is here we could have a good fight of Godzilla versus the Mudos and think, okay, well... When we get to the end, maybe when the two Mudos get together, they form Voltron or something. They combine <laughs> in some way to be a bigger, badder, worse villain. So we have a bigger fight for the end, something that raises the stakes. But the way they do it here, it's Godzilla Interruptus. <laughs> Definitely take your time in introducing him. But when you introduce him, give him his moment. Give him the stage. Don't cut the mic off just when he walks up and clears his throat. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, that that was the problem with Pacific Rim is the best fight is in the middle of the film. You don't want to do that. But again, you got to establish rules. Later on, Godzilla is going to be spitting radiation from his mouth. We never saw that. Like, I felt like, oh, that's out of nowhere. That's cool that his fins and tails glowing. But like, I, I wanted something set up. I wanted to know what his strength really was so I, I could gauge if that end fight is a real threat or not. What they could have done, and I'm not going to say should have done, what would have been the real writing challenge was to write for Godzilla. Who is he as a character? How intelligent is he? What does he want? Does he have a character arc? Is there <laughs> something that he wants besides killing this Mudo? Funny enough, this is what yeah. I wanted, Stuart. This is what I want in a Godzilla film. I, I know it's tough to make him the central character, but I want to know about Godzilla. He's the title character. Tell me about him. Who is he? What are his motivations and dreams and aspirations? I want to know. And we have this apparatus built around him. We have this monarch and we have the U.S. military sitting out there. They're talking about utilizing him as a way of stopping the Mudo. So I'm not clear as to how much influence they have. I take it they have none. Zero. They are studying, but what this is, is this is a disaster film. This is Twister. This is Armageddon with a asteroid headed towards Earth. The humans, they're trying to bait the Mudos. They have no influence on Godzilla. Godzilla is so far above the Mudos that humans can't touch him. We can just try to get out of the way and survive. That's their take on this one, and I understand that to a point i agree though i'm there more for a movie about godzilla in a movie entitled godzilla than to just have godzilla be a cameo player yeah the, so much of this film is following godzilla in the water and at one point he like dives deep and they're like oh he's diving deep and we can't see him on our radar i don't know do we just keep heading to san francisco i guess he'll show up there <laughs> They're not even following Godzilla so much. They're following the Mudos. All they ever talk about is the Mudos. They need to stop the Mudos from mating. My question is Godzilla. Let's look at this from a biological perspective. All right, so Mudos feed on radiation. And apparently Godzilla also feeds on radiation, hence why he's underwater. But he is the natural predator of the Mudo, so he's come hunting the Mudos. Wouldn't a predator feed on the Mudos instead of just being, like, the Punisher? Your point is he should eat them? Yeah, I thought he hunted them and ate them to get their radiation. I thought that's what they were establishing. In the wild, in the animal kingdom, you don't have a murderous predator. You have a hungry predator. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I, this is not a huge issue for me, Arnie. I mean, he could be hunting them for food. I, but he doesn't. I don't understand. I keep thinking that the military has been using Godzilla since 1954. Because he's been around for that long, and they've been studying him that long, I don't understand why they wouldn't have some kind of rapport with him. Well, because they haven't studied him. They've been hunting for him. They haven't seen him since the 50s. I guess I missed that line, but how could something that big go away? The same way it stayed hidden for all of human history. It went deep. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm not going to go deep. This is a Godzilla <laughs> movie, and I have already recognized by this hour mark that it is not going to be the serious intellectual Nolan, let's take something <laughs> campy and turn it into a thought-provoking allegory movie that they pretend that it is. I don't need it to be that. I don't want it to be that. I'm going to ignore that. What I need for this movie to do in the second half is to not only deliver more excellent battle scenes, but to escalate them in a way where I feel like Godzilla matters. But 
it doesn't come. Then several battles are all about the female Mudo. And I feel they did do a proper escalation in the second hour. Because the first hour, the character who really felt adrift to me was Ford. He's like, I need a ride home to my wife. Can I just come with you guys? And he's in Hawaii. And then he gets trapped with random Hawaiian child. And <laughs> he just has to save him because he's a good guy when the Mudos attack Hawaii. And then 10 minutes later, reunited with the parents. No yes. consequence. Yeah. Finally, he gets something to do. He gets back with the military, and the military is dealing with nuclear bombs, and hey, he just so happens to be an expert on bombs. So they finally at least put him in an area, very convenient, but where he makes sense to be. He's with a military unit, not his. I don't even think it's the same branch. They said he was naval, and I think he's with the army, but he's there to work with a bomb. He's finally instrumental in some way of helping the human people instead of just being along for the ride. But I'm judging him for this because why isn't he going home to his wife? You're telling me they only have one guy in the whole military industrial complex? There's only one guy that's going to be able to figure out how to use these two nukes? Well, no, they he's, they said he's part of a unit. Where the rest of the unit is and they can't get them to San Francisco, I don't know. But he's the only one there. Yeah. Right. The unit would be where the bombs are. They would not leave the side of those nukes. So this conflict seems contrived and silly. Well, most of Floyd's plot is. But again, I thought this was about him reuniting with his family and he, put, he was putting family first. And, you know, the whole reason why he went to go get his dad was about family. Like it's all of a sudden his wife doesn't matter. She doesn't even leave San Francisco. She's been waiting for him to come home. He's not coming home. I just took it that he was using this whole military gig as a free ride home. Like, this is the only way. They're only letting military fly. I doubt they're letting flights go out of Hawaii at this point after a monster attack. I just took it as he was using the military. Okay, I'll have to make a couple of stops and and disarm some bombs maybe. But at least I'll get a free ride to San Francisco. That's what the train ride is. The train is him. He wants to get home. He's offering his bomb skills in exchange for the ride. And they actually say, screw you, you're not this unit. And he finally talks his way onto that train. After the Mudo steals the nuke from the train, in a really suspenseful sequence, I don't care necessarily about the characters, but I really am in suspense when they're on that high train bridge and seeing if it's there, and then the train starts coming and the Mudo attacks, and I'm wondering how the hell they're going to get out of this. He jumps off the bridge. Will he survive the fall? I'm into the action scene, and it's after that point that he's like, all right, forget the wife. I now have to save America, including my wife. You know, I felt like that was one of the more familiar uh, notes of this movie. I was like, eh, haven't we seen this before? The big thing. It was like Jurassic Park where it comes up to the vehicle or Smog recently did this where the big thing is eyeball to eyeball with it and the, the guy's radio goes off and it starts mimicking it. I, I, I didn't think this, this was a tremendously fresh or exciting scene, mostly because I'm looking to Johnson. I don't like his facial reactions. I don't like his accent. He's not selling me that he's a character that is afraid or heroic or anything. He is just basically got both hands behind his head and leaning back and saying, take me home, Godzilla. This is your movie. <laughs> yeah, it really does feel like he's staying alive merely to give us, again, that human perspective into this giant monster fight. Like he jumps off this bridge and then he just kind of lays there looking dead until the military shows up and then he waves his hand and they save him and take him to the next desk. I do think he's severely injured. I don't think he's playing possum. 
No, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you get our point that yeah, this yeah. guy is not doing. Your point is my point that he, this guy <laughs> is just coasting through this movie script wise. This character is. It's not the script. It is the script. It's not just the script. <laughs> A young, hungry actor would seize this opportunity to be funny, to be human, to make you not be able to take your eyes off of it. A really good actor could do this. And this guy doesn't even try. It's, he has every opportunity. He has more screen time than anything else in this movie, and he squanders it. I completely agree with that. He does nothing exceptional. I kind of feel bad for the actor, though. I mean, admittedly, a different actor could have done more, could have been more self-starting. I feel like you're talking about a director who's only done one other feature, which was exceptionally low budget. This project... He has to feel like he's playing second fiddle to Godzilla. He's given a script with nothing for his character to do. I think there's multiple points of failure for this character than just the actor. I'm I'm not going to be as hard on Aaron Taylor Johnson as you are until I see even more of his work. But seeing what he could do in Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2, he's better than this, and I think he's doing what he can here. Shouldn't this have been an ensemble? If you have a character that has such little utility and yet you insist on putting them in every scene wouldn't you be better off putting these likable oscar-winning actors in those scenes instead and just making this happen all over the world with them in different positions wouldn't that be the way to go independence day as opposed to war of the Worlds? yeah i also was thinking war of the worlds and that's never a good thing to think of as people who heard that donation series know yeah, if you're going to jump all over the world like they do, we go from, you know, Japan to Hawaii. I, I get to Vegas and San Francisco. I guess we're jumping around America mostly. But, you know, yeah, have an ensemble cast where you have an important character in each of these areas. And, you, yeah, that's the story being told. That's the human drama. They each have their arc. It, trying to follow this one character all over the place like they're doing, it's not working for me. Well, you mentioned going all over America. I couldn't think, you know, we've talked about how many times New York's been destroyed and we've seen Paris destroyed, London destroyed. When all of a sudden the Elvis music starts playing and the female <laughs> Mudo has headed to Vegas, I can't think of a movie where they've destroyed Vegas. And they fooled me because I thought for sure this movie was going to end up in New York because in the trailers we see the Statue of Liberty destroyed. It turns out that's a scene even cut from the film but the Mudo destroyed the replica of the Statue of Liberty in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Vegas destroyed. It's just, uh, it, it's past its prime. You know, the funny thing was, right before we see the destruction of Vegas, we get the military in that secret base where they, I guess, bury everything that's radioactive. Sadly, that's true. There was news this week about a kitty litter radiation leak in that area. Oh, that's scary. Well, if you've been through Nevada, there's a lot of empty space. I guess if you're going to bury your nuclear waste, that's the place to do it. But, you know, they're opening these little windows to look at each one, and they finally open that third one that uh, light's beaming through, and that guy just opens the door, and I'm like, no, don't. I, like, I almost shelled out. Why are you opening the door? Like, it seemed like such a horror movie cliche, like, you go into the dark room and don't turn on the light. But no, okay, good. There's a huge hole. Like, that's when they go for those big money shots. I feel this movie does work. And they open that door and you see the whole side of the mountain is gone because that moodoo is taken off towards Las Vegas. I, I feel like those are the effective moments in this film. That scared me because I wonder where the radioactive waste went. I'm now hoping <laughs> the Mudo ate it. But, I mean, you put it under rock for a reason. Yeah, but what happens when that thing craps? 
And this movie is filled with just those kinds of moments you're talking about, Jacob. I love it. My favorite one actually involves Ellie when she's looking up at the sky and she sees a guy parachuting down and it's kind of a magical moment. And then you realize why, because the EMP power went off. The Mudo has caused all electrical devices to stop working and we see his plane spiral down and crash. Yeah, I mean, there are so many great shots of people staring in horror at some incredible effect. I want to emphasize as a disaster movie for disaster pornography, this ranks among the best. I, I've been hard on this movie as a story and I think I'm deserved to do so, but keep in mind, this is Godzilla. This is about destruction. A plus on that. They do it great every time they want to do it. Yeah. Later on, there's a scene of this massive traffic jam and you find out the reason is because a plane's just falling out of the sky. Yeah. A lot of great moments like that. Completely agree. I mean, from the scene in Hawaii where the airplanes start blowing up all the way through Vegas, this whole movie, the tsunami in Hawaii. I mean, it's great on that disaster level. The problem is we normally talk about characters and plot. And so, but yes. as far as the action scenes go, A plus. Right. Now, I have to ask, is San Francisco any place to raise your kids? Mama Mudo, she could go anywhere, right? She's big. She she could push over anything. Why have they worked out this whole echolocution thing that they got to meet in San Francisco? Is that where she left her heart? <laughs> I, I just kind of thought he's flying east. She's flying west. That's She's walking. She doesn't have wings, but she's three times the size. But here's why that doesn't work, because San Francisco, they don't build up. There's not a lot of skyscrapers in San Francisco <laughs> because they've prepared for earthquakes. It's just not that kind of city. That's why Godzilla always attacks Tokyo or New York. There's a lot of big things to knock over. San Francisco, what? You got the Golden Gate Bridge and then what? I mean, I don't even recognize some of these buildings that they push over when we're getting to the climax. Yeah, I was trying to think, is there a nuclear power plant in San Francisco? I know it's down by San Diego, no, they have them, but nothing They're so San green Francisco. there, there would be no nukes. Come on, that'd be the last place you'd find any radioactivity. Although I hear bad things about Angel Island. But I also think to a degree the Mudos were led there by the army and their megaton nuclear bomb. Though that was stolen from the train. But there was a second bomb, wasn't there? Yeah, there was two. Yes. That's that's confusing, but yes, the female Mudo got one bomb. She decided she was hung she was full. She didn't need to eat the other one, and so it's food for the babies. Yeah, I didn't even get that there was two bombs. That was a surprise when they came and airlifted that second bomb out. More, how did she lay the eggs? When did she get pregnant? I yeah, it she was <laughs> pregnant before they met up. I, Let's I don't know. Stop, she, guys, because this I think we are all in agreement. This screenplay is in shambles. And if the presumption was that the Americans know how to tell a better story than they knocked out in those cheesy Japanese sixties movies, I just want to say right now, it's not any better. It may, in fact, in some cases, be worse. I don't think that this script is any more sophisticated or better than the silliest of Godzilla movies. I just have one last thing about the Mudo eggs, though. When the female Mudo is seen for the first time and she's got the neon glowing orbs underneath, at first, I swear to God, I thought it was a Mudo nutsack. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree that, yeah, she can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. I mean, they, they definitely masculinize her in, in the same way that I think they do the queen alien and aliens. I think that, yes, while she may be the female, she's made to, I mean, she's the big baddie, right? Uh, she's the one that Godzilla's got to face off. 
Yeah, I love when the, finally we're going to get to the big action scene, the climax. I love she just starts pounding the ground to build her nest, and that's causing all this dust. And, like, San Francisco does look like an apocalyptic nuclear wasteland at this point with, the, I mean, the clouds and everything. It is fantastic looking. As we've said, when they break stuff in this film, they break it good. Oh, and fantastic. Yeah, this this whole skydiving sequence, I bristle a little because I it's – I mean, they're taken from Kubrick. They use that music they use in 2001 for for the drop. Was that the same music? I, I thought it was. Yeah. It's Leggetti. Yeah. It's the exact same score. And yeah. I don't know. That's that's a sacred movie to me. It was intentional. They wanted to call back to the monolith scene. <sighs> okay. The Godzilla is not the monolith, but we'll get to that podcast very, very soon. But still a stunner. Probably the best scene in a movie full of great destruction scenes. They, they use it a lot in the trailer, but when you see the whole sequence of them falling from the sky with that red streaking sky riding cloud behind them, and, and we can just see Godzilla all the way down. It's really the first time I'm getting a great look at G here. I, we should probably mention what do you think about the redesign? This is a, a new Godzilla. He's not like my Godzilla. He My Godzilla from the 60s, he's kind of got a scrunchy little like face. He, he looks cute and this godzilla no cute more pitbull i'm getting a pitbull mixed with an upright lizard i'm with you on that i like the design of the classic godzilla and i think with tweaks that design could still be made to be ferocious and mean while still recalling the iconic kind of t-rex you know stubby arms big tail sort of thing both the Matthew Broderick one and this one, I feel, have over-designed Godzilla towards the lizard side. Yes. I, I'm Okay, then we're in agreement on this. I would like him to be a little bit more human. I'd like to have a little more personality coming through that face. I know they're walking a line. I know that sometimes they're telling me he's a monster, but I always like Godzilla best when he's one of us. And you know what? I'm not, again, I haven't gone as deep into Godzilla as you guys. I've seen that first one. The other ones I've... I've watched here and there, not really paying attention to them. I, I don't know. I thought this design was fine. It seemed very reminiscent of the original Godzilla to me. I, yeah, I get, I get there are, are little tweaks. This one's much more bulkier. I think they said he, he's much t- twice as tall or something like that as the original. But man, when I saw that Matthew Roderick Godzilla, I knew something was wrong with that. This one, if you're vaguely familiar with Godzilla, it's close enough. It worked. Yeah, the Japanese are claiming he's too fat. and Yeah, that's mostly <laughs> fanboys on the internet, though. He's American! What do you expect? <laughs> I mean, look at what we got over here. We're all fatter than the Japanese. I, I like the director's response. He feels bad for Godzilla because he knows Godzilla reads the forums, and if you want him to come back for the sequel, you got to be a little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> he'll get a trainer. They'll find the money. He'll, he'll be in much better shape next time. If they can do it for Mark Hamill, they can do it for Godzilla. <laughs> How's Carrie Fisher looking? Uh, pretty good. What? Yeah, I know. If they can do it for Carrie, they can do it for Godzilla. I'm just relieved they kept the roar. That was the most important thing to me. I know that sounds silly, but as a Godzilla fan, if he didn't do that, <laughs> that, that, that last echo, that last part's got to yes. echo. In a can kind of sound. If they didn't do that, I would reject this Godzilla. Again, people were cheering when he did the roar. I mean, that, yeah, that is a big part of it. 
That was one of them, yeah. And they kept the the spine thing, too, you know. Not in all the movies, but in a lot of them, he usually lights it up, and, you know, that's how you know he's about to breathe fire. They kept the classic traits, but I'm with you, Arnie. He's just a little, a hair too lizard for me to feel like he's my Godzilla. I want to give Gareth Edwards probably one of the few compliments I will give him this movie. I love the way they shoot him. It's almost always up angle. We never get what I consider a classic Godzilla shot where we eventually just say, screw it. We're going to shoot the entire shot as if Godzilla is the size of a human and frame everything else appropriately. You know, when you have the guy in the rubber Godzilla suit walking over the train set and you're filming it like you would a weather report. They always keep this pretty much a low-level POV shooting up angle to emphasize always how big he would be if you were standing there watching it, and I like that. I gotta ask a question, and and Stuart, maybe this is a rollout type question, and we'll just move on from it, but as Godzilla approaches San Francisco. Again, they, they want to ride this line that he is terrifying. Yeah, Arnie, I agree with those. The way they do those upshots of him to give him scale and size. He's terrifying, but they also want you to like him. So like we get the scene where he finally charges towards San Francisco and the military for some reason decides to start firing on him and they're shooting missiles and he rises up to block missiles. So the bus full of school children aren't hit on the golden gate bridge. Like I feel like it's a, it's a weird moment that doesn't work for me. I just get to the fight. I, I get that. We're supposed to be cheering for him. We already are in the theater cheering for him. It, it was a weird moment to all, all of a sudden have the military turn against him when they've been just tracking him and not doing anything against him the whole time. I thought that they would eventually conclude what Shirazawa was trying to say from the get-go. Nature will take care of this. These things are animals. He's the predator. He's going to clean up the house. We don't need to bring a nuke in here. We don't need to bring involved. We need to get the people out, or we need to protect them from falling rubble, but we do not need to try and come up with our solution. If you bring in a nuclear bomb and these things eat radiation, what do you think that's going to do? Of course, it's going to make more babies. This was all... Very confusing. I just felt like the military should clear out of the bay and let's see Godzilla stroll in here and go to town. But of course, then it would give nothing for their real star of this movie, Ford, (laughs) to do. Again, you're saying the real star. I don't know. I'm telling you, they can call it whatever they want. This is (laughs) Ford is the movie. You know, he finally does, I guess, something kind of heroic. Why Godzilla's off fighting. I'd much rather be seeing that. He goes and incinerates all the little babies. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a good thing for him to do. I mean, I think that that's, yeah, he can take out the little ones. He can handle Godzuki, but yeah, let <laughs> Godzilla, let Godzilla handle these other two. And, and he does. I, uh, these fights, again, incredible, beautiful. Love watching all of this destruction, the impaling of the male one and then going with the female one. I gotta say, I felt a little gross when he like, shot the fire in her mouth i felt like a little bukaki yeah yeah i I, (laughs) I thought so too okay i felt like that was i'm like i feel like i'm watching something kind of vile it was i don't know why i don't know what uh taboo it's breaking but it broke inside me yes when you're vomiting inside of someone else's mouth yes that's always taboo i'm guessing two mudos one cup (laughs) the audience loved it though when he tears off the head again that's what people are into that's what they came to see they wanted i could tell they wanted more of that i wanted more of that hey my research tells me i haven't seen all the godzilla films i haven't seen as many as you guys have but he's never done that before they found a move godzilla hadn't (laughs) used 
Yeah, I, he, I, he's bled and he's torn off Ahad. Ghidra lost Ahad. He has three, so he can sacrifice one. But, but did he breathe down the neck? No, no, no. Like I said, this, this again, I almost feel like it crosses the line to being some kind of NC-17 porn. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a cool move. It was a stunner. And I was only confused because then Godzilla promptly falls over. And I believe he's dead. I actually think they're going to end this movie like King Kong or something saying, okay, we have no more purpose for him. Gone. I was a little shocked that he fell over because, I mean, I knew he'd been in a fight, but he didn't seem like he was staggering in the 10th round here at the end. He seemed to pretty definitively do the fatality Mortal Kombat (laughs) move and then just to fall over. I'm like, what? Yeah, Yeah. I don't remember seeing the Mudus getting any good jabs in, stabbing them with their little pinchers or anything. I didn't see any real wounds that would bring them down. It was a death by a thousand paper cuts, though. You know, it was like that male one. All he did was like, he just had that little pincer thing, but it was like, dee, 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 dee. you do that enough times. If you, yeah, if you stick a pencil in yourself enough times, you will die. I think that's what he was counting on, is that Godzilla would just eventually just fall over from all of the puncture wounds, not because any one was particularly deep or lethal. But yeah, I, I didn't understand why he was so defeated. I thought that they were going to sell us on that. I thought that the humans would be glad that the, all the monsters were dead. And, you know, we had this whole family reunion thing. I was a little worried that we wouldn't get what we get at the end, which is the classic Godzilla goodbye. He's always got to go walking off, sauntering into the sunset in the ocean. Yeah, I did wonder if they were going to, like, chain him up and throw him into another Nevada facility and... try to keep him under wraps but nope he got up and again people were happy the audience was happy yeah he got up and sailed off into the sunset yeah i wasn't prepared for him being the media christening him savior of the city but you know if they foisted kim kardashian on us i guess then he can (laughs) have his 15 minutes and they can just happily forget about that tsunami he caused that killed thousands right right yeah you know we all make mistakes i feel this movie does downplay the carnage we always see the survivors we see that family in the tsunami we see ford escape time and time again thousands upon thousands of people die in this film and we never see a single sad ewok scene But will he come back? That's what I wonder. Big numbers, big hit. Uh, People were cheering. But can they write the next one so that it will be about Godzilla? That's what I'm wondering as as he sails off is how can they tell another story without him being the main character that that time? Well, it is official. Uh, With a $200 million worldwide opening, the sequel is officially underway. Again, coming from Legendary and... It's looking two to three years. As for if they can do it better, they certainly can. And I'm just hoping that they can find the right balance of the human story, whether that human story be relating Godzilla's motivations or just having something a little bit more original for the people. But is what they had here enough? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Godzilla? Jacob. That is the question. Is there enough here? Now, yes, there is some great disaster porn, but films like Transformers, great disaster porn, awful stories. It ruins them, makes them not recommends, at least for the majority of now playing host. And that is the question here. Like, this is such a weak story. I was so excited going in, seeing Watanabe, seeing Cranston and these big actors, and we're going to have these dramatic moments. And that just goes away so quickly And Godzilla takes so dang long to show up, but man, all the disaster stuff going on throughout the story, that's what keeps me in my seat. I'm kind of rolling my eyes, watching the clock while humans are talking. I want to see the monsters. And so 
Is that enough? Well, for this first Godzilla, for Godzilla 2014, it is enough. If there's a sequel and they don't improve this, that's not going to satisfy me. But seeing the great visuals that they were able to provide in this film, I think it's worth it just for that. Being, you know, a casual Godzilla fan, yeah, there was some excitement seeing a return of the King of the Monsters here. I think he earns that title in this film. It's exciting enough when we see Godzilla can you make a Godzilla film about Godzilla? I would love to see that happen. I, I think that's the way to go. I want to see that. So this one, it's it's a mild recommend. I, I don't have quite the excitement that a lot of people are showing for it, but it's a recommend. I, I think it is a visual feast with a pretty mediocre drama played throughout, but great fights, great visuals, great disaster porn. You know, if you're going to jerk off to something, this is the disaster porn to jerk off to. So mild recommend for me. I don't know if I've... That's a weird fetish. <laughs> hey, we, we got Bukaki throat puking in here and all kinds of fetishes going on. All right, Stuart, it's your turn. <laughs> How do I follow that up? Well, you know what? I'm the Godzilla fan. They'd have to work really hard for me to not recommend it. They'd have to make something as bad as Godzilla 1998. And this is much better than that. You know, the, the mission was to make us forget about the first American Godzilla done, wiped away clean, a much, much better film. My disappointment, though, is that this really isn't superior to many of the Japanese silly, campy 60s, 70s, 90s, 80s. I I can think of Godzilla movies from any decade that are as good or better than this film. And I was stunned. I believed the trailers. The trailers told me they were going to elevate this, that we were going to get great actors giving us great drama with fear that we've never had. They were going to take a silly character and instill a a power and a horror that was unlike anything. Now, they improved the special effects. That's that's obvious. Visual feast, absolutely. But no, this is not much more sophisticated than your typical Godzilla. So if you don't like those movies, I don't think you're going to like this one. I don't think that they've seriously upped their game here. But I like Godzilla movies. So this is going to get a mild recommend. It's got sweep It's got no stakes. It stalls, and it puts way too much focus on a character I do not like. A performance, I think that is boring. They better clear that up for the sequel. My advice to them, one thing I tell Legendary Pictures, how about a team-up? You know, I almost recommended Pacific Rim for the visual spectacle. I'm recommending this one for the visual spectacle. Why don't we see their two team up? Why don't we have the Pacific Rim Jaegers take on Godzilla next time and, and throw in Mothra and a couple other people? Have fun. That's the one thing I'm really going to ding this movie on. It's the reason why I'm probably not going to watch it many more times, maybe ever again, is no sense of humor here, humorless. In their attempt to try and encapsulate world tragedies and disasters, they forgot that every Godzilla movie needs to make you smile, and just too often it's glowering. So have fun next time. Whatever you do with the sequel, whether it's a team-up or or more monster mashes, just make sure that you know and that the director knows you're not making art here. This is not Batman Begins. This is a just another run-of-the-mill Godzilla with incredible special effects. Mile recommend. Well, you talk about mashups. They did say in one of the interviews that the rights are there that they could do Peter Jackson's King Kong versus this Godzilla. <laughs> okay, I'm 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 more or less down with that, although we'll have to talk Peter Jackson King Kong some other time. And for me, I think that I probably enjoyed this more than I would have enjoyed a lot of those 50s, 60s, and 70s Godzilla films, especially if we'd done a retrospective where I'd been watching one to two a week and the repetitiveness 
of a f- that movie diet would make me regurgitate like Godzilla did at the end of this film. I think that because, yes, the special effects are better, but more than just CGI creatures, the cinematography, the camera work, all the things that CGI can do that aren't giant creatures aids this film to have a kinetic disaster film energy that would make this work. The same reason why I can like Twister, but not necessarily get so much into the towering inferno. uh, It's a matter of energy that comes from the cinematography and the feel. But is that enough? Is just visceral jack-off to disaster porn enough for a recommend? No, it's not. So then I have to look at this story and these characters, and we've kind of ripped them apart, but I kept having a parallel to a movie we reviewed last summer as part of our then-donation drive. We reviewed World War Z, and I got a lot of similarities between World War Z and this, both in that we have this character that's some part of the government who's going from place to place and keeps having these pivotal encounters and is somewhat responsible for the victory, though not very much. And I gave that film a green arrow. It was a mild green arrow, but it was entertaining enough. And that's where I put Godzilla, is it was entertaining enough. I enjoyed myself, I was diverted for the two hours in the cinema, I liked the look of it, it's fine, (laughs) I'll give it a green arrow. I don't understand the massive love. When this movie came out and people were like, I just saw Godzilla, you guys have to review Godzilla! Like, we would just all spew our love all over Godzilla's face, I I don't see it. I don't know. We'll see. Hype can do a lot. They spent a lot of money to push this. People were excited for it. I was excited for it. I don't know if there will be a cooling off. I know I was instantly disappointed even during watching this movie. I was let down. It, that may change. Ask people in a year. We'll see if people like Godzilla. We'll see. And that's what happened with Godzilla in 1998 was that people spent their money. They ran out to see it. And then by the end of summer, no one wanted to talk about it. I don't think it'll be that extreme. But I imagine that this one won't look as good upon a second viewing. Yeah, I mean, it's getting three recommends. So we liked it well enough. I, we all think you should see it. But... It's not the end-all be-all, it's not even the best film we've reviewed so far this summer, and I certainly hope it's not the best film we're going to be reviewing all summer, because we've got a lot coming up this summer in theaters. Yeah, starting next week, X-Men Days of Future Past. The last X-Men movie was my absolute favorite of that franchise. Can they possibly top it? I don't know. They've brought back the cast members that helped make that possible. I'm very excited. I, again, have shielded myself from the plot. I don't know the comic. But, yeah, I want to see the X-Men triumph. I want to see that franchise do even better. I, I think that that has the potential to be the best superhero movie of the year. Well, we'll have that review coming out this Tuesday. And then, don't forget, we have two summer movies as part of our spring donation drive. At the silver level, we're going to be reviewing the Wachowskis' new Jupiter Ascending. They just released some new trailers for that, so we're getting a little bit more of a look at it. I'm going in, just still, even with all the trailers, not quite sure what we're going to get, but that is the end of our silver level donation drive, where you get five Wachowski films. The four Matrix films, which include the three theatrical ones, plus the Animatrix, a couple of shorts of which were in theaters, and then end with... Jupiter Ascending, and the gold-level donation, 
starting tomorrow. For a donation of $25 or more, you get eight Planet of the Apes films. We're starting with the original Charlton Heston, ending with Gary Oldman's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. This is going to be a great journey that I really hope you can join us on. And remember, your donations keep us going. We're not taking your money and pocketing it and going and living a high lifestyle. What little we get... Most of it goes back into the shows for the movie tickets, the IMAX tickets, the bandwidth, the hosting. We couldn't keep up this show and the hits we get without financial support from somewhere. And if you own a multinational billion-dollar corporation and want to be our sole sponsor, (laughs) please drop us a line. We can be bought. But barring that... We need each individual listener to look at the content we put out throughout the year. All the shows we do throughout a year. We do well over 50, nearly 60 shows for free every year. Coming up on 75 to 100 hours of podcasts for free every year. And we just hope that you think that those shows are worth maybe 10 cents an hour so you can donate $10. (laughs) I feel so cheap all of a sudden. I, I think I'm worth 10 cents an hour. I think my rate is much higher. Yeah, so hopefully it's worth enough where they'll donate $25 or more for the gold level donation. Get the 13 bonus thank you podcasts that we're doing. Matrix, Apes, and Jupiter Ascending. Uh, even if you're not interested in those specific movies, if you like this show, we really need your support to keep going. So please head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top, and donate what you can and what you feel the show is worth but that is it for this podcast jacob stewart thank you for joining me i was just about to do that (laughs) and until next time oh no i say we gotta go 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 godzilla this alpha predator of yours doctor do you really think he has a chance The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control, and not the other way around. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. The world still thinks this was an earthquake, and it would be preferable that that remains so. At our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, we have hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including Pacific Rim, all the Marvel Comics films, Friday the 13th, the James Bond movies, Fight Club, Avatar, and more. You are going to come back to me. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Okay, I need to get on that train. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Come on, you're scaring me. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I still will be here tomorrow. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Look, this is what I do. This is my job. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This is my jaw supposed to drop. Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers of this film. The movie and its characters are the property and trademark of its producing companies, and no infringement is intended. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? What does that mean? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're lying. Because what's really happening 
is that you're hiding something out there. I'm right, aren't I? Now playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Go home to your family. Keep them safe. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But after, yeah, the Americans up and and made a bunch of money. Can you say that again? This is a PG movie. Isn't that the West? If you're going from Japan to Hawaii? No, that's East. Oh, okay. Yep. You're right. Never mind. <laughs> you are going to the West. You're going to the Western, West, but it's East. The Western <laughs> culture, but yes, the direction is actually East. Now that I look yes. at a map, yes. And you were both right. <laughs> then breathing his atomic breath down the throat of the female, killing them both. Well, no, not killing. Killing the yeah. bitch. Well, no, oh. killing them both makes it sound like I've killed Godzilla. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Watanabe. Is it Watanabe? I've yeah. been saying Watanabe, but you... Watanabe? You said something else, Stuart, so I don't know if I need to go back and re-record all my Wat- pronunciation. Watanabe is, I believe, probably... Watanabe, okay. Yeah. I mean, Watanabe... Oh, do I need to read some Watanabe? Yeah, you know, I, I, Japanese, you can do it either way is the problem yeah. is that the emphasis, I, I, every time I say it, then someone Japanese comes and says, no, it's, you know, the other way. And I go, oh, okay. So I think there's an American way to say it and a, and a Japanese way to emphasize it. And they're very distinct. All right. So I'll- say what you want and then, and people will correct us. All right. <laughs> It was a death by a thousand paper cups. It was death by a thousand paper, paper cups. cups. Yeah. <laughs> it was death. Oh no, I say we gotta go. Go, go, Godzilla. And Godzuki. Is that, uh, is that like a theme song or something? It's Blue Oyster Cult. Oh no. Oh, they okay. say he's gotta go. Go, go, Godzilla. Yeah. All Sounds three like a of Saturday morning cartoon jingle. <laughs> well, which is why I, I threw in the Godzuki part, but yes. <laughs> That was the cartoon.